0: Lord, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for the us together to study your word. Father, as we look into it tonight, we ask that through your book, you would just make it alive to us, make it so realistic just, uh, call it. that we go away from.
1: Okay, can we have someone read the text of chapter 9? And if you want to do chapter 10, I won't be, because it's only three big verses. And I'm sure Rabbi Haim will help someone if, uh, especially the verses 9, I think are going to get a little tricky. Tricky, little tricky, because mm-hmm. of Hebrew.
0: So the Hebrew.
1: Yeah, would you like to, Glenn? We'll, I, I,
0: I tried, but, uh, we'll give you. Okay. a said, don't worry. Oh, uh, chapter sure. nine.
1: You know what? The one that you read the most is the most important Bible you'll ever have.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well put right sure. Ready? Yes, chapter so, nine. So only twenty. 20- 8th of February, the day of the two decrees of the king were to be put into effect the day the the Jews' enemy had hoped to vanquish them. Though it turned out quite to the contrary, the Jews gathered in in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to defend themselves against any who might try to harm them. But no one tried, for they were greatly feared and all the rulers of the provinces, the governors, the, the officials, the aides, helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. For Mordecai was a mighty name in the king's power, and his fame was known throughout all the provinces. For he had become more and more powerful if the Jews went ahead on that appointed day and slaughtered their enemies. They even killed 500, 500 men in Shushan. They also killed the ten sons of Haman. So that Haman the, the Jewish enemy parasheth dotha dotha porpheth uh, adalai right. arethodai paramathai arasai aradai and vangathai the but they did not try to take Haman's property. Late that evening, when the king was informed of the number of those slain in Shushan, he called for Queen Esther. The Jews have killed 500 men in Shushan alone, he exclaimed. and also Haman's ten sons. If they have done that there, I wonder what has happened in the rest of the provinces. But now, what more do you want? It will be granted to you. Tell me and I will do it. And Esther said, If it please your majesty, let the Jews who are here in Shushan do again tomorrow as they have done today. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. So the king agreed and the decree was announced at Shushan. And they hung up the bodies of Haman's ten sons. Then the Jews of Shushan gathered together the next day Also, we killed 300 more men. So, again, they took no property. Meanwhile, the other Jews throughout the king's province had gathered together and stood for their lives and destroyed all their enemies, killing 75,000 of those who hated them. But they did not take their goods. Throughout the province, this was done on the 28th day of February... Next day they rested, celebrating their victory with feasting and gladness. But the Jews at Shushan went on killing their enemies, and the second day also, and rested the next day with feasting and gladness. And so it was that the Jews in the old villages throughout Israel to this day have an an annual celebration on the second day when they rejoice and send gifts to each other. Mordecai. Wrote a history of all these events and sent the letters to the Jews near and far throughout all the king's provinces, encountering them to declare an annual holiday on the day on the last day of the month, to celebrate the feasting, gladness, and the giving of gifts, this historic day when the Jews were saved from their enemies, when their sorrow when their sorrow was turned to gladness and the, their mourning into happiness. So the Jews adopted Mordecai's suggestion and began this annual custom, as a reminder of the time when son, Haman, son of Haman,atha and Agai, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted to destroy them. At the time determined by the throwing of the dice, and to remember them that that when the matter came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's plot to Boomerang. And he and his sons were hanged on the gallows. That is, that is why this celebration is called Purim. Because the word for throwing dice in Persia is pur- pur. and All the Jews throughout the realm agreed to inaugurate this tradition and to pass it on to their descendants and to all who became Jews. They declared they would never fail to celebrate these two days at the appointed time each year. It would be an annual event for generations to gener- from for generation to generation, <clears throat> celebrated by every family through, throughout the countryside and city of the empire, so that the memory of what had happened would never perish from the Jewish eyes. Meanwhile, Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail by Mordecai the Jew was written a letter throwing her full support behind Mordecai's letter inaugurating his annual Feast of Purim. In addition, letters were sent to all the Jews throughout the 127 kingdoms of Ahasuerus. The message of goodwill and encouragement to confirm these two days annually as the Feast of Purim decreed by both Mordecai, the Jew, and by Queen Esther. Indeed, the Jews themselves had decided upon the tradition as a remembrance of the time of their national fasting and prayer. So the commandment of Esther confirmed these dates and it is and it was recorded as (coughs) law. Thank you, Glenn.
1: I do want to correct one minor point. It is Purim, purim, not, not purim. Purim. Okay. Purim. It's really easy, though. It looks like the purim. word pure, and even my computer sometimes pronounces it that way, but it's Purim. 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 Yes. Okay. So just to let you know. Um, so we'll always we start with a little bit of review from last week, and last week we read through chapters 6, 7, and 8. And the first thing, um, does anybody remember what we talked about when it came to the sleep? Why, was, why does God seem to have this thing that he likes to trouble leaders with sleep?
0: Gets their attention.
1: Gets their attention, <laughs> yes. That's a big part of why that happens. Sometimes it, it's, a, it's a tough job being a leader, and the Lord sometimes knows we are thinking about lots of things, and sometimes when we go to sleep we can't stop thinking about those things, for whatever the case and so it's important sometimes to 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 give us a dream or to make our sleep leave us or to have troubling sleep. Sometimes, um, I, you know, I don't know why the Lord does that, but it's definitely an opportunity of when we can seek the Lord, when we can read his word, when we can find out what, what's going on. Why do you have me up, Lord? You know, sometimes it's an opportunity to really pray. Really pray and pray beseech the Lord. Maybe there's someone else at that time needing help. And so it's an important thing to ask the Lord, what do you, you've got me up, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? And so we see that the king remembers Mordecai and decides to honor him. Now, what kind of honor does the king bestow on Mordecai? Does anyone
0: remember? Well, he puts him, has him put on his horse and he puts robes on him?
1: Yes. Very good. And what was interesting, and I don't remember if I talked about this last, this particular honoring that took place seems to indicate it took place most of the next day. Because at the very end of it, when Haman departs to his house, it's very soon after that they come and and bring him to the feast. So it was something that happened throughout almost a whole day in which Mordecai was honored. That's a big deal that the Lord chooses to to, to honor Mordecai in that way and, and bring about this honoring for him. And we know that uh, Haman was in the outer court, even. At what, at what time of the day was Haman in the outer court waiting to, to hang Mordecai? You guys remember what time it was in the day?
0: In, in the court? Yeah. Very early, wasn't
1: it? It was in the middle of the night, it seems to indicate. He was, in the, he was still outside as the king thought to honor Mordecai after he had read the record. So it's interesting that Haman had a hard time being able to let go of the offense and was in that position ready to make a specific uh, request that, that Mordecai be hanged. Now, one of the important things that was not in your notes last week, and I decided to share it last week, was what story did this story, Esther, parallel? What's whose story in the Bible, in other words? Does anyone remember what we shared about that?
2: Joseph.
1: Joseph. And do you remember some of the things we shared where there were some strong parallels?
0: Well, he, uh, he was, well Joseph was unknown to his brothers.
1: Yes. So there was a concealment, Yes. Joseph was concealed, and Esther, too, was concealed as being a person that was Jewish, in a sense. Esther was concealed as a Jew, and yes, Joseph was concealed from his brothers. Does anyone else think of any other parallels? They, saved they both saved their peoples. Right. From, a, from an upcoming tragedy of, of Haman, and from the tr- tragedy of the famine. They both were used by <coughs> God to save their peoples. That's a big one. Favor. Favor. Yes. They both had favor. Joseph was where when he started? Do you remember? In a hole in the ground. He was in a hole in the ground, and he went to Potiphar's house, and what happened there? He became a
0: headster.
1: Yes, he did. And then where did he end up going
0: after Potiphar's house? Prison. Prison. And
1: what happened in prison? Well,
0: he became a headster. And so, similar to that story, we have
1: both um, Esther getting favor, as we saw back in chapter 2, and then now, especially in this chapter, in chapter 9, and earlier in chapter 8, Mordecai getting the same favor and being raised up for God's purposes. So these are some of the parallels between our story of Esther and the story of Joseph. Now, Esther makes a plea for her people, and it was kind of unique. How, why did uh, Esther make such a unique plea? Or what was unique about her plea?
0: What was unique
1: about Yeah, do you remember? There was something she specifically asked. To a Not just the banquet, but w- w- when she's there, she said, she said, it would have been okay if we were going to be slaves. I wouldn't have asked for your... For you to intervene on this. If we were just going to be sold as slaves. But not only does she ask for herself. Her own life. She asks for who else's lives.
3: Everybody.
1: Everybody. Everybody. And that's very unique in a sense. That it's a very selfless plea. It's a very selfless plea. You know it's one thing if they were going to be bond servants. But it's different now. That they were going to be in a sense. um, Annihilated. And she's willing to make the plea not just for herself, but for everyone that's going to be annihilated here. So the final thing is, and I don't think I touched on this, the time frame in which all of this takes place is the spring. Now, why do you think that is kind of key here to the story? What what was Shushan about? Does anybody remember? The The Winter Palace. So all of this stuff starts happening in the spring. And why do you think that's an important piece of the story? Yes, they're gonna go back to war. They're gonna go start fighting the battles again. Remember we talked about how they had already lost once to Greece and now they're getting ready to go out to battle a second time. And now that the springtime is changing, where's the king's focus probably? What do you think he's thinking about? He's thinking about the bottle. He's not thinking in terms of what's maybe going on at the palace. And that's where we come to this point too. Because at the beginning of this time frame, we see that the time jumps again. Jumps again. And it comes to, it, it comes to the thir- 13th month. Now, it be, I'm sorry, the 12th month. Before it had said the three month, the third month. And so you have a pretty close to nine months. Taking place. Taking place from the, from the events in chapter eight to the events of chapter nine. Now, what do you think's happened during this time? What are some of the things that have happened in these nine months? Any idea? Well, remember the edict, so the edict went out from Haman on the first of the month and I know your, your Bible said February, but the first month in, in this reckoning which would have been Nisan is when? Years. No, not New Year's. Nisa? Nisan, yes. Nisan is the time of Pesach. <laughs> roughly, okay? About two weeks later is Pesach. And so Nisan is close to um, what we would call the end of March and the beginning of April. Okay. And that's when the edict first goes out. And then in the third month, the month of Sivan, we have the second edict going out. And Sivan is about the time of May, end of May, early June sometimes. Okay, That's when we have the next edict going out and things getting turned around. And then... We come back to Adar at the beginning of this chapter. So the time frame really makes a lot of sense if you look at it. And as Glenn put it, February, the end of February, beginning of March, is about, is about where we look when
2: Adar is happening. I'm sorry, Michael. Would you, uh, for those of us who are a little slower... That's fine. Would you mind going through the time frame again? So the beginning,
1: when the, when the first, when Haman had the edict sent out, was the first of of Nisan, okay? And he sets it for a time that's going to be 12 months later, Adar, in the month of Adar. So then we see the events coming forth between Esther and the king in the late spring where she goes in to, to extend the scepter and everything else happens in the month of Sivan, where the second edict is changed in order to reverse what the first edict said. And so we have that going out in the late May, early June. And then tonight, in chapter 9 as we start, the story resumes coming back to Adar. So I don't know if that helps with the timeline. All the stuff from the time the the first edict goes out by Haman in, in chapter 3, all the way to the time of when we're at chapter 9 now, that the time is coming, Purim, that... This is the time frame that we're looking at. Okay. So it's about a year and in total, but it's nine months from chapter 8 to chapter 9. Well, and it's the end of spring and the king's probably not going to be in Shushan much longer. The the, the summer months are time, the time probably to go out and really wage the war. And it's a time that they're away from Shushan. And so it's time. It, 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 it's kind of interesting, the timing of how all the events take place just before the king's getting ready to leave. And so now we come to that same point that I'm talking about in in chapter 9 where we're back to... You know, late February, early March. However, you want to look at it, and we see that um, we see that Mordecai. We see both that he's lifted up, but we see something else is happening. That there's a change not just in the months, but there's also a change in terms of what God is doing here, because God, it, it says in the King James, from the contrary, that things have changed. And this word for change here is the word in Hebrew hafach, And it has to do with overturning and changing. And, and we know, most most of you know the word for turn in, in Hebrew is what? What is the word that we think of most of for turn? Shuv. Shuv, shuv or shuvah as we think of to do repentance. But this is a different word, hafah. hafach. Hafach, excuse me, hafach, in which we see things that were one way are now being turned around and are the other way. Whereas the enemies had the power, now the Jewish people have the power. And this word is used several times in the chapter. It's used later on to say that their sorrow went to gladness and that their mourning was changed to happiness. And it's, it's something that we see throughout Scripture in in what God says about judging things when God speaks about judgment. And we see it back as early as in Genesis and in especially when it's talking about God overthrowing Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see it where God overthrows Pharaoh in different judgments. In different judgments. And so it's the same word, hafacht. That God is beginning to move and do his thing in the midst of the people.
3: And Mike, I was also thinking I'll just mention that is that the people came together. You know
1: what I mean? Yes. Yes. And that, that coming together is, is also a neat Hebrew word. It's the word kahal. Together, fast
0: together.
1: Does anybody know this word kahal? What it might, another word they might get from it? Well, we get the word kehila. What is kehila?
2: Community.
1: A community or an assembly. And it's assembly of coming to worship the Lord. And it's word where they say they all came together, not just in Shushan, but also they came together in the provinces together. That God used this to assemble people. People understood what that was, to come together, whether it was to come together in worship, come together in pray. It's the same word, kahal, in which God uses. When God says, my people are to come together for a holy convocation, it's that same word. Not quite. I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. I'm thinking the other word. Mikra. Yes. I'm sorry. But it's still the idea that they all came together. They assembled as God was leading them from that point to to come and stand up against their enemies. Now we have the battle getting ready to take place. And before the battle takes place, it says that Mordecai is lifted up and he becomes great. It says that three times in this verse, that Mordecai, in verse 3, I believe it is, that Mordecai begins to become very great in the sight of people. Why do you think that was? Why do you think Mordecai started to become great? Because the king had more and more
3: authority
1: because he proved himself to be loyal. Well, some, some of it's that, but why, why do people become great in and of themselves in Scripture? They were faithful to God, and what does God end up doing when we're faithful? He lifts them up. He lifts them up. He shows them favor. He gives them what's needed. And we see that that's true today when people are faithful and they established in doing what they're supposed to do every week. When they do what's expected again and again, God begins to use them and raise them up. And Mordecai, it's three times in this, it, that he became greater and greater. And it's really something that God always does. God always is the one who lifts people up. And then the battles start taking place. Now, there's two different areas where the battles take place. But the one that's really focused on are the battles in Shushan. Because the, this is a letter or a book that's being written in the capital of Shushan. And, and we have a big chunk here. What happens in Shushan?
0: 500 men were killed in the day. 500? Okay. What happened the next day? 300 more. 300 more. And also the 10 sons of Haman were killed on the first day, too.
1: That's right. So, now, it's kind of interesting because it's not really clear which day they were killed on because Esther asked the king for them to die on the, after the first day, after the first 500 were killed. But it, it's, you know, Scripture's different because, and this is part of the beauty of Scripture, is sometimes things are written not in the same order in which we see them. The ten names that you were dealing with, those are the ten sons of Haman, and they're listed earlier in the scripture, but they're talked about being killed later in the scripture. And it's just one of the beautiful things that scripture does is sometimes it doesn't always say everything specifically in order. Though, And it's sometimes a stretch for us because sometimes we want to look at scripture and, and understand well, why is it talking about them all being killed off here, but then later on it's, it's mentioned specifically. So it, it seems to indicate that possibly Esther asked for their death but the recorder records it beforehand for some reason. And, and that's, you know, the, like I said, that's a stretch for us. That's a stretch for us. But one of the things that's mentioned is that the people cho- choose not to take any of the spoil. And it's mentioned three times. To- why do you
2: think that is? It, it reminds us of the battle of Jericho. <clears throat> well, that,
1: that's one reason. Why, why do you think that happened... What was the reason
2: for Jericho? Jericho was considered uh, holy unto God. It was, was set apart for destruction. It was the first to fall.
1: It was the first one to fall. And the Lord said that this was to be, like we say, kadosh Lecha, holy unto the Lord. First fruits. First fruits kind of thing. So that's, a, that's definitely a possibility. But who already had Haman's stuff? Mordecai Mordecai was already in charge of that. And even though Mordecai's in charge of that, he, we know that that's one reason that it could take place. But what is, what is the overall, I think part of the overall point here is that the Jews don't take anything because they look at themselves as still being strangers in a strange land. I think part of the reason they don't choose to take anything is they know what it was like to be captive and to lose everything they had. and And remember who gave it to Mordecai? Well, the king gave it to Esther And Esther gave it to Mordecai. And so, like Rabbi Ham was talking about on Shabbat, we see that Mordecai is under her authority still. And it's because she gives it to him. But part of the thing that's interesting, when you look later on, the people are saying, we're glad just to have our lives. We're glad to have our lives. And I think that's what this is more about. They're just glad to be alive, and they don't look to in a sense, put their foot on their enemy like that. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, they may look at it in terms of, it's the Lord's business how he wants to get this done for us. If he wants to give us everything, that's up to him. But in this particular case, because in Egypt, what happened in Egypt? Did not the Egyptians give them all the spoil? silver.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. And God told them to. It was very clear. But this time the people choose not to. And I think it's because they're just happy to have their own life at this point. I think that's what we see in verse 16. That the people were happy to have their own life. And they don't look to, in a sense, push forward and get and get in the midst of God winning the battle. It's just a, ma- a matter of we understand w- who we're under and how things work kind of thing. You might
0: have made a point. That shows that uh, the reason is not the
1: Yes. Yes. Now why do you think Haman's sons get hanged? My mom reads that and she just really is like torn up about it. Why would God
0: yeah. Put them all do all that? Display. That's what happens to the, uh, the enemies of God.
1: What's the reason from scripture? Why did people do that in scripture though? Like when kings sometimes took power. Not only would they kill the previous king. They would kill all his kids too. (laughs) Why would they do that though? Eliminate the competition. No contest. Yes. It's more about God's word being fully established here. God did not want his enemies to rise again. And we see specifically when we look in Deuteronomy when he talks about Amalek, that he's going to wipe out the remembrance of Amalek completely. And whether the, whether the writer of Esther knows that or not, he's actually confirming what it says in Deuteronomy about that. About that. And it's an, important, it's an important point to the story. It's an important piece to the story. And it's really important, too, that a lot of this is taking place in the capital. But one of the neat things about this part of the story is when we read some of the language here, we see the similar language in the Torah. Let's look at Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Sylvia, if you would read Leviticus and Art, if you would read Deuteronomy, um, let's see, the verses are Leviticus 26 and verses 6 through 9, and Deuteronomy, Art, 28 verses 7 through 10. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy
2: 28 and verses 7 to 10. Adonai will cause your enemies attacking you to be defeated before you. They will advance on you one way and
3: flee before you seven ways. Adonai will order a blessing to be with you in your bonds and in everything you
1: undertake. He will bless you in the land of Adonai that God has given you. So part of the reason is God is on display here because God's the one that's being the deliverer of the enemies. And it's an important truth because God delivers from his enemies, whoever his enemies are. It's important that we sometimes look at that. For those of us that always spend a lot of time in the New Testament, a lot of the body of Messiah, what do we look at the enemies today being? What are the enemies we think of when we think of God's enemies? Spiritual. And what are those spiritual enemies? Powers and principalities. Powers and principalities? What else? Well, Thought. It can be. But specifically, one of the biggest enemies is death. And what is death's power? Death has power through sin. And these are two legitimate enemies of God. God wants to definitely bring down these two. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15. Right? That God's going to put everything under the Messiah's feet. And who's the last one to be put down? Sin and death. Death, death and sin. They're, they're the two that God will take completely away.
2: Michael, if, if there is a strong connection...
1: Exactly. Because the bigger thing here is not the enemy. The Lord doesn't want us focusing on the enemies, okay? The bigger thing is the rest. The rest we get from the enemies. God has promised all of his people a rest from his enemies. It's such an important thing. And some people even equate the same rest as 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 very spiritual, you know, when we think about Shabbat, because Shabbat's a time of rest, right? And and we even read that in Exodus, God gave His people rest from the from the toil they had in Egypt, right? The rest that they had to labor over and over again, and they were treated mistreated under their hand of their enemies. And some people look at the Shabbat as an actual connection where we stop the work we do in order to commemorate the rest. That God gave to His people Israel when He brought them out of Egypt.
3: And God wants us to want them to have time for Him instead of the struggle and the protection that had with you know countries being on guard
1: and whatnot. And know we have peace. it's important to understand that there are real enemies out there to God's people, whether it's specifically to Israel. Or specifically to us. Now, I'm not trying to say that everybody's out to get us. You know, like paranoia. But I'm just saying there are real enemies that God wants to deliver from our hand. There are real enemies, and enemies are important. But the bigger truth is God wants us to bring us into the place of rest from our enemies.
0: With a thousand-year millennial be a, a type of rest.
1: You better believe it
0: it comes after God's going thrive with me for 6,000 years and there thousand year millennial reign. well that, that's what some of the rabbis point to yes okay.
1: yes but the, but the bigger point is that how that rest comes and how God because rest is something we can live in the here and now rest is something we can take hold of in the here and now and when I say that I want us to be challenged by that to know that we're resting in what God has for us as his people. God wants to establish rest in us in the here and now. It's not just something we're waiting for off. It can be something that goes deep within our heart. And gives us peace. So that we can be established to know that God is with us. But one of the great times in Israel's history. When we look over and over again. It's how God was establishing a time. When his people had rest from their enemies. When God was giving them a physical a time when they were at rest from their enemies.
0: And break the band when they went through the Red Sea and that merrie old dance and the same song of deliverance mm-hmm. when the Pharaoh and his soldiers were all drowned by, by the sea.
1: And we see that rest talked about in Deuteronomy nineteen, in Deuteronomy twenty-five, verse nineteen, when speaking of Amalek. We see it also in Deuteronomy twelve. This is something you can go home and look at. Joshua chapter one, Joshua, or Joshua chapter 21 and Joshua 23, when the Lord gave his people rest from their enemies. And then God established the covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, when David had rest from his enemies. It's a great time when God wants to do things in our hearts. And just, it's something that he wants to do now, And it's something he wants to do even then in a future reality is to get us to that place where we know that we have rest in him. This is kind of the bridge that we go from the battles, the battles going from the battles in which the Lord's people have been engaged in, to the celebrations. The celebrations can't happen until they have a certain amount of rest from their enemies. It's an important truth that God wants to establish people to have that rest and to know His
0: rest. In the Hanukkah, the type of celebration too.
1: Yes, yes, very similar. What is the, who are they getting rest from what enemy then? Uh, The
0: the Greeks.
1: Yes. Yes, the Greeks. And so part of the picture that we see besides the celebration is we see that there's a writing of letters. There's, There's a writing of letters over and over again. Why do we have to write letters? Why does this stuff need to be written down now? all of those things. So it wouldn't be forgotten so that people would remember It's all these type of things that you're talking about. Because God wanted this to not be just something that happened once. Mm-hmm. It would be something that needs to be happening again and again. And so that's one of the first things we see Mordecai doing with his authority is making a point of writing letters to all the people in all the provinces. Also there was, there was that was the
3: only way you can communicate. They don't have internet. They don't have internet. That's
1: right. What happened when there was no remembrance? How about a a scriptural answer? Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. Mary, would you like to read that? Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. The context is we have all the forefathers in Egypt dying. Joseph has died at the beginning, at the end of Genesis, and now we're going to the book of Exodus. What does Exodus 1-8 tell us? They tell us that
3: when the new king came into reign, he knew nothing of Joseph, (laughs) (laughs) and that's
1: why he was willing to wipe out the whole nation. Mm -hmm. because He was not part of the history. There was no history, that's right. So there was no history, no no. He didn't know who Joseph was, and a new king became oppressive. We have a new king on the scene, and he does—he becomes oppressive. And so, not only does Mordecai write letters, who else writes letters? Who else in the chapter wrote a letter? Esther, yes. Why, why more than one letter? Witness. Witness. Very good. Two or three, when the mouth of two or three, something is established, right? And not only do you have two people here, but you have two strong authorities. When you have two strong authorities making a declaration, you know that there's power behind it. There, need, there needed to be unity. That's right. There needed to be unity among all the provinces of what had happened, of what had happened. And so it's important that these letters go forth and they go forth with the authority of the two people that, that send them out. It's such an important piece of, of what's supposed to take place. Part of the picture that we see is as these letters are going out in the authority is the emphasis over and over again. The emphasis is not on God but who's the emphasis on? The emphasis is on the enemy. The enemy on what the enemy has done and what day the enemy had decided to do these things on. And it's over and over again And part of the reason I think this is here is because we understand, the the Israeli people understand from one generation to another generation they will always have enemies. There will always be enemies that God uses. We know that God, even though there was a Haman and a Pharaoh, we know that later there was an Alexander and an Antiochus and a Hitler and others that always seem to come and raise up. And that's why the emphasis here at the end is, this is what the enemies have done. This is why we celebrate the feast, because we remember how it was overturned, that same word again, hafach, that God had overturned what the enemy had wanted to do, and the people were given the the ability to be able to defeat their enemies. And so over and over again in the letters it talks about the enemies and how the enemies were, were to do things. And I think that's part of the reason why is it, until Yeshua comes back and establishes his rule and reign there will always be another enemy that looks to raise his head against the Jewish people.
3: They have many enemies right Yes.
1: Part of the last two things that are talked about here in the book of Esther that are really important to park on is we see, again, the remembrance of the poor. What did Yeshua say about the poor? You'll always have them. them. In fact, there's a scripture in the Torah. I didn't remember where it was. But if your brother, or, or it says, when your brother comes to you needing money... And the rabbi sometimes says, it's not when, it's a matter of if, you know, or not if, if your brother comes to you wanting money. It's not the if, it's when your brother comes to you. Because there's always going to be people that have needs. Always going to have people have needs. And they made this time of saying, let's remember those that have needs. The Purim should be about those that were struggling and that had the needs.
3: It is beautiful. Beautiful.
1: Yes! And, and there's a tradition of, of preparing baskets and sending those that have need, the care packages. And I, I don't know the exact Hebrew word for that time. Mishlach? Mishlach? Manot. Mishlach Manot? Yes. That they use to send packages for those hurting. And the other thing that's talked about in verse 31, specifically in Esther's letter, is this need for, to remember that there was a time of mourning, and fasting. Why is that such an important piece to remember?
3: Forgetting oneself and giving giving up something and focus on God. Or focusing on where the help is going to
1: come from. It It is designed to get her focus on where the help comes from. And it's, and it's remindful of what we see in the Torah. And if you could tur- turn to this passage, uh, Aaron, if you're up for reading, uh, it's Exodus 2, 24, and 25.
0: Mike, can I read something quickly? Uh, here, here in sure, go ahead. Happy is a generous man, the one who feeds the poor. And uh, What's the address on that? Proverbs what? Okay, that's uh, uh, 20, 22... Uh, Twenty-two nine. Here, here's, here's another about helping the poor. In uh, nineteen, it says, uh, "When you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and He pays wonderful interest on your loan." <laughs> Amen.
3: <laughs>
1: Thank you for those scriptures. That those are great. Exodus Exodus 2, 24 and twenty-five. God saw the of Israel, and God took of Does anyone know the context of this scripture? Well, the, remember we read earlier in Exodus 1 about the king not knowing Joseph, and then the people came on some really rough times, right? And part of God's plan is when people are going through a rough season. Is that they learn to trust in him. And a lot of that trust comes from learning to cry out to the Lord and to really seek him. And he heard their cries. And he heard his cries. It says that God took notice of him. It's pretty powerful for God to actually take notice of something. I mean, do you think God needs someone up on his a shoulder saying, hey, look at this, God? I mean, this is one of the few times in Scripture where it says, God took notice of what was going on. He had a definite heart of compassion for what happens in our times of suffering, in our times of mourning. And I think that's kind of why they wanted us to remember those two important things. Remember the poor and remember the mourning and the fasting. Because that's good stuff that God shows up, where he shows up, where he uses people to comfort those that are hurting. Whatever case the reason of their hurt. And that's really what Purim, they wanted to instill, Purim should be about. Is that people understand that though this was a time of hurting, God showed up. And, you know, part of our challenge is to know, to have memories in our life when God shows up. When God shows up. And here's another commercial. Praise night is coming up. A time when you can have a great memory of praising the Lord in his sanctuary. It's this Sunday, 5 o'clock. Show up in the sanctuary, praise the Lord with us, and have some memories of how God shows up. Because God wants us to remember those times when he shows up for us. They help get us through in the rough spots that we sometimes find in life. Absolutely. Well, it has been a joy to teach this book. I know there's so much more we could delve into, but this is the four weeks in which we committed. Our next um, next week, just following up another commercial, is prayer week. So you're welcome to be here next week, but there will be no Bible study. It'll be a time of intercession and prayer. And so please come. If the Lord is leading you so the Lord can speak to you. Not only do we show up to pray to the Lord to to give to the Lord, but also come to hear from Him. The Lord wants to speak to us when we're praying a lot as well, not just wanting to hear us. And then I believe I think we're starting some,
2: a different teaching. Yeah, uh, if I may uh, put in another commercial. On... <laughs> we are planning to start another series on the back side of the week of prayer and uh, we're we're planning to take several weeks to look at the great intercessory prayer throughout scripture. Uh, So as on the other side of uh, the the week of prayer, we'll give you a heads up, but uh, if you've read the word of God long enough, I'm sure you're familiar with at least one or two or three or four great intercessory prayers. Amen. Anybody? Yeah.
3: Yes? yes. yes? yes.
2: Okay, good. <laughs> there was a little concerned there. Uh, there are a number of them, including Moses, all the way to Yeshua. And we want to take time to look at them, study them together, pick them apart, so that we can apply those and become more fully intercessors. And, and uh, Alright, I'll, I'll get off a of soapbox here real quick. Uh, one of the things that really used to bug me is when people would introduce themselves and they would say, I'm a prayer warrior. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, if you are, do you really need to advertise that?
0: Mm. <laughs> oh, you don't. <laughs> no.
2: Number one. Number two, um, all of us are supposed to be prayer warriors, right? And so, even if you feel somewhat retarded in this area, as some of us do, then then you you don't you don't sit there, but you say, Lord, I want to learn to become an intercessor. Why? Because that means that you are wanting to learn more about what God wants. And you're wanting to be in tune with what he wants, right? Okay, I'll be quiet. Michael, finish for us, please. Father, we thank you for this uh, study of the book of Esther.
1: We pray, Lord, that as we come to Purim, that we'll be able to know your um, ability to cause us to rest from our enemies, Lord. We know that that's a reality that you want us to take hold of right now, Lord whatever those enemies might be, there's a rest for God's people to learn to engage in and to know. And so we pray that that you would show your hand in that. We pray, Lord, for our celebration of Purim and the the non-saved people that might come, Lord, who need to hear your voice and to know the truly delivering power of Yeshua. We ask, Lord, that you would draw them to this time when we celebrate Purim. And we thank you, For what you did in days of old and what you're doing right now. And we give you all the glory. Be with us. Draw us back here Shabbat and Sunday. And we just give you all glory and honor. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.